will rejoice and be glad in it. Amen. 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 All right. Well, we're going to have praise and worship, and then we're going to have Pastor Dan come and give tactics on the enemy, and then David will be victory in the battle. So it's going to be interesting. So, Lord, we just want to thank you for this morning. We praise and we worship and we thank you, Lord, for your wonderful love and grace and mercy that you show to us daily. Thank you for the blood that you shed that redeemed us and has brought us into the family. Lord, we give the Holy Spirit permission to move freely, to uplift Jesus and give us spiritual knowledge that we can take and become better warriors for you. And better witnesses for you. And it's all in your name we ask it. For all the honor and glory and praise only goes to you. Thank you, Jesus, as our Lord and Savior. Amen. Amen.
You give life. You are love. You bring light to the darkness. You give hope. You restore every heart that is broken. Great are you, Lord. It's your breath in our lungs. So we pour out our praise. Pour out our praise. It's your breath in our lungs. So we pour out our praise to you only. You get life. You are love. You bring light to the darkness. You give hope. You restore every heart that is broken. Great are you, Lord. It's your breath in our lungs. So we pour out our praise, pour out our praise. It's your breath in our lungs. So we pour out our praise, pour out our praise. It's your breath in our lungs. So we pour out our praise, pour out our praise. It's your breath in our lungs. So we pour out our praise to you only. And only earth will shout your praise. Our heart will cry. These bones will sing.
Good morning, everyone. It's wonderful to see everybody this morning. If I'd I'd known there's this many people was going to be here, I would have prepared something. (laughs) 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 I want to thank Mitch and Dave and Brent for allowing me the privilege to be a part of this. This is a very important uh, topic in spiritual warfare. Amen. I, I think that it's important to point out that in warfare, uh, people die. Yes. And so uh, I'm the one that gets to be Johnny Raincloud here today. You know, um, you know I'm not going to, uh, I'm going to bend this a little bit. Is that That's cool? Okay. Yeah. Uh, I have deformed ears, you know. Um, but at least, you know, Brent has an ear that's a half inch lower than the other one. I don't know if you guys knew that or not. <laughs> Just kidding. <laughs> I, lo- I love you, brother. So do I. Um, but no, in, in warfare, let me see what time it is. Okay, it's 20 after. So I need to be done by 10 till, correct? So, yeah. So, so I need to get moving. Um, in warfare, people die. And so... You know, I, I just want to um, preface what I'm getting ready to say by this. So I just got back from a, a journey from Saudi Arabia because I, I'm seeking to make a documentary myself and Pastor Josh Yance, seeking to make a documentary about the real Mount Sinai. And I'm not going to lie or exaggerate when I say that I have an axe to grind. And that axe to grind is the deception that's in the back of all of our study Bibles here. There, there's a map that does not uh, correspond to the biblical account, and I have a problem with that. That is deception, okay? That is intentional deception. Uh, while we were there, there, were, uh, there was only 21 of us, and this type of trip, and I'm not trying to be disrespectful or cynical. I'm just, just being just straight up honest with you because this is spiritual warfare. This kind of trip would not be conducive for a teddy bear Christian to go on. And so uh, it was very taxing. Uh, there were no luxury buses, air-conditioned with Wi-Fi, and you'd step out of the bus onto a concrete sidewalk and walk into a church somewhere like in Israel. And so while we were there... Uh, I was shocked, and Josh and I both were shocked to meet like-minded people, and a group of us one night were talking, and and a couple from Oregon, there was another uh, couple from, uh, a person from Texas, from all over the country, and I was stunned to uh, discover that in their neck of the woods in our country, they too were appalled by the ideological subversion that has taken place within our school systems. And I I thought that maybe it was an Indiana thing. I didn't know that it was an Oregon thing and a Michigan thing and a Texas thing where children are allowed, that it's school policy where children are allowed to deny reality. And I thought it was only in Indiana to where if if a child wanted to identify as an animal that they would put a litter box in the bathroom. And if uh, a child on this day wanted to be to identify as a male and the next day identify as a female and then the day after that identify as both, that is school policy for that to be allowed to happen. And this is ideological subversion, okay? It is the destruction of a nation, and it happens by way of deception. 
So the title of this is Tactics of the Enemy, and I believe that the number one tactic that Satan uses is ideological subversion by way of deception. Now, this, the scope of the deception of Satan is so broad that, you know, I had a hard time whittling down where I was going to go with this. And so there's just two things that I want to talk about. One, the first thing is, please know this. The tool that Satan uses most effectively in the ideological subversion of a nation is the mainstream media. And I was preaching a sermon series on truth in which I downloaded and printed off a 21-page, 21-page document of documented lies that the mainstream media tells. And they have basically seduced a nation and and have brought them into this, this current, this vast current of destruction, okay? And what is alarming to me is the church has just jumped right on board with it. And that's because of the, what I call Christian ideological subversion, which has completely divorced critical thinking from the Christian paradigm. Time doesn't allow me to go into that, but I will just say at the top of the list was CNN. And then for you Fox News Christians, I just wanted to inform you that Fox News came in fourth with the number of lies it's told. And wouldn't you know that Sean Hannity was at the top of the list with the lies that were told at Fox News? Doesn't surprise me in the least amount because Satan is going to use both sides of the fence. It's called the Hegelian dialectic where you put where both people are on the same side, but they pretend to be against each other. Yeah. And so they create the problem, then they offer the solution to the problem, which brings them one step closer to the objective, which is the ideological subversion of a nation. What is that anyway, this ideological subversion? Subversion is when you intentionally seek to undermine, then ultimately destroy a particular worldview. And in this case, the worldview happened to be a Judeo-Christian worldview. And so, we're, but the second thing that I want to talk about is Christian ideological subversion. And the Apostle Paul gives us an example of that. It, it happened uh, back then when in 2 Corinthians, and you don't have to turn here, but I am going to kindly ask before I pray. If you, and I'm not going to apologize for saying that. I've, I've undergone so much criticism for the phrase that I'm getting ready to use. It used to hurt, but now I consider it a compliment. If you would take your inerrant, infallible, indestructible word of God and turn to 2 Peter chapter 1. 2 Peter chapter 1 in your inerrant, infallible, indestructible word of God. It's inerrant because it contains uh, no errors in the manuscript or in the autographs, rather. And what we have is an accurate reflection of the original autographs known as the manuscripts. It's infallible because it's incapable of having any errors because it's written from God. And it's indestructible because governments, emperors, popes, kings have tried to rid the world of the written word of God and they have been unsuccessful. Jesus said that it will never, ever happen. Heavenly Father, for this privilege, I want to thank you. And you know that I've asked you multiple times to create in me a disposition that is pleasing to you as I have a tendency of letting my passion be mistaken for anger. And so just now I ask that your servant would 
humbly and in a Christ-honoring way uh, deliver what I believe is to be your message for the edification of the church, I ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. In 2 Corinthians chapter 11, the Apostle Paul is defending his apostleship. I'm going to make a long story short, okay? Basically, false teachers have come into the area of Corinth, and they are telling the church at Corinth, in a nutshell, if Paul was for real, if he was really a real apostle of Christ, that he'd be charging you people for preaching, okay? He'd be like us. He'd be well-dressed. He'd be charging you. And he wouldn't be walking around with all these lumps on his head. He wouldn't have, you know, these bruises on his face and these cuts and scars all over him if he was truly, truly a servant, a true apostle of Christ. And so Paul, being a little bit cynical, said, forgive me for this horrible wrong that I've come and preached to you free of charge. (laughs) That I'm not like these super apostles that, that take you to the cleaners, man, when they come and they preach here. And he says, in fact, what I'm going to do, I'm going to continue to do this because I'm going to continue to expose them for the phonies that they are. And in verse 12, he says, but what I am doing, I will continue to do so that I may cut off opportunity from those who desire an opportunity to be regarded just as we are in the matter of which they are boasting. Let me just unpack that real quick. He's saying, I'm going to continue to walk around with these lumps on my head. I'm going to continue to be poorly dressed, and I'm going to continue to seek to preach the gospel free of charge that's funded basically by the church in Philippi and other places. Okay, I'm going to continue to operate the way that I am. Then he goes on, he says, for such men are false apostles, deceitful workers, disguising themselves, disguising themselves as apostles of Christ. No wonder, for even Satan disguises himself as an angel of light. Therefore, I've said all that to say this, It is not surprising if his servants also disguise themselves as servants of righteousness, whose end will be according to their deeds. And so he's saying here, these people who are false apostles and false teachers are servants of Satan. They have a smile on their face. They speak with such eloquence. They have money. They don't have any bruises and scars and lumps on their head. But make no mistake about it. They are servants of Satan. Now, last year, Brent presented Satan as a roaring lion. John presents Satan as the old serpent, the dragon who, quote, deceives the whole world. Paul presents him as an angel of light smile on his face and just tells you all the things that your carnality desires to hear and it just makes me feel so good. Yeah. Dan, you're being a wise guy. I'm not trying to be. But I just, to make a long story short, what does this look like? These guys here, what, what do they produce? What do they actually look like? I mean, we can read about this, but someone needs to say, well, what does this actually look like? Well, Paul 
gives us a picture of what these people produce, these false teachers who serve Satan, who come across Daniel as an angel of light, who appear to be telling you all the things that you want to hear from God. What does this end up looking like? Well, Paul, writing to his disciple, his apprentice in the faith, Timothy, in 2 Timothy chapter 2, or chapter 3, rather, he says to Timothy, but realize this, that in the latter days, difficult times will come. And he's going to say, there's going to be a huge contrast between the true believers and the tears that these false apostles produce. Yeah. It's a Christian ideological subversion by way of deception. Intentional, mind you. He says, for men will be lovers of self, lovers of money. Pay particular attention to that one. Lovers of money. Boastful, arrogant, revilers. This word revilers, I mean, I'm not going to unpack this exhaustively. I wouldn't do that to you, okay? But revilers here, blasphemoi. Blasphemoi in Greek, it means a blasphemer. Now, pay particular attention. Now, remember that, blasphemer. In addition to lovers of money and boastful and arrogant, they are blasphemer, disobedient to parents, ungrateful, unholy. Check that one out, unholy. We're going to get to that in a moment, unless my limited, my so-called mind forgets unholy. Unloving, irreconcilable, malicious gossips. Without self-control, brutal, haters of good, treacherous, reckless, conceited, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God, holding to a form of godliness, although they have denied its power. And he says, avoid men such as these. So what we have here, we have... Paul listing 17 characteristics of carnal depravity by people who claim to be Christians. This is what this is what the the servants of Satan who masquerades as an angel of light, this is what they produce. Oh, you don't believe me? Well, in verse 13 he says, but evil men and imposters Evil men and imposters. They are pretending to be something that they are not. Amen. Evil men and imposters will proceed from bad to worse, deceiving and being deceived. They will be intentionally engaged in the Christian ideological subversion. They will be intentionally engaged in undermining and ultimately destroying the true biblical worldview. And they're going to do this by appealing to the carnality of people. In fact, what's going on here? I'll tell you what's going on. And it's the same thing that's going on today. It was popular during the days of Paul. Is that they are going to teach people that they can be saved without getting saved. Jesus said you must be born again. Amen. Don't take this the wrong way. 
I don't mean this exhaustively. Welcome to the mega church movement of America. It is the Christian ideological subversion. It is teaching people you can be saved without getting saved. You notice Paul used the word unholy. And this ideological subversion has included the lack of holiness. What we don't see here in this paradigm, and these are people who, who, who are defined by 17 characteristics of carnal depravity, unregeneration. And you know why they're not unregenerated? Because they don't have the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. And the reason why that they don't have the indwelling of the Holy Spirit is because they've never been born again. Amen. The exact opposite of this is humility. And an absolute abhorrence of pride, of a desire for the Holy Spirit to, to torment my conscience, to step on my heart, to consciously be on my back and tell me you can straighten up in this area and, and look at this area and to shine light in this area of my life. But instead, these people aren't interested in it. And quite frankly, the false teachers don't want them to know that if one is under extreme conviction from the Holy Spirit, that that's actually a blessing from God. Amen. I have thanked the Lord and told him, I have done nothing to deserve your Holy Spirit Amen. tormenting my conscience. Yes. I have done nothing to deserve the conviction that he places upon both my mind and my heart. Yes. I've done nothing to deserve such a priceless gift that you've given me. Amen. But we don't like to feel bad, do we? Some of you are angry already. I don't know who you are, but you know who you are. And this is the massive deception. We have been lied to about so many things. One is about God's grace. It's divine favor. It's not a license to sin. We've been lied to by people like Andy Stanley yep. that say that we need to unhitch from the Old Testament. Yep. And, and you hear these ridiculous phrases like, we're not under law, we're under grace. And it's like, well, then obviously you've never camped out with the Bible because if you would, you would see that even in the Old Testament law, okay, Leviticus is the way of holiness, Numbers is the way to holiness, grace is infused it's inseparable from all of that. Amen. And furthermore, you know, we have the Apostle Paul back in, in, in uh, 2 Corinthians 11 told them, he said, I'm afraid that just as the serpent deceived Eve, that he's going to deceive your mind and take you away from the simplicity and the purity of the gospel. Amen. And so today we have people that can't even tell you what the gospel is. You ask them, what is the God? Oh, Jesus loves you. Please. Really? Did you know? And this cuts across the grain of 
these people here, this false church, these people who have been deceived by Satan and his servants, the false teachers. They can't even tell you what the gospel is. And they have perverted the meaning of love. Yes. And, yes. and, and we hear that all the time. Uh, God is love. Oh, he loves me. Oh, how he loves me. And all this. And, and what they've done in this Christian um, ideological subversion. And that they have perverted the true meaning of love. Did you know that God's love is not mentioned in Matthew, Mark, or Luke? Did you know that? Look for you look at look for yourself. Get a computer and do a word search. And search Matthew, Mark, and Luke. God's love is not there. It's not there. Now, the idea is because Christ went to the cross, but the actual God loves you, it's not there. And then in John chapter 3, in the conversation between Jesus and Nicodemus. Love there is not the kind of love that we're being peddled today. Because we're being peddled this affection. That it's affection. It's not affection. Agape or agapao, either one. It means a righteous choice by the evaluation of the will. And here Jesus was telling Nicodemus, he was saying, For God, making a righteous choice by the evaluation of the will... Understanding that people have been deceived by Satan. And because he is so righteous that he is going to provide for mankind what he requires of them. And, you know, most people don't even know that sitting in the church why Jesus died on the cross. I couldn't get that answer. That's one of the reasons why that I went rogue at age 11. I'd hear, well, Jesus died for your sins. Why? Oh, because you had a sin debt. Why? I mean, I was so frustrated as this young kid at church camp not being able to get the answer that I was looking for. No one told me that God is a righteous judge and that he presides over a divine bar in heaven. No one told me that I was legally guilty before God. Legally guilty. It was a legal matter. I mean, this, we're not even to my spiritual sickness yet, okay? We're, we're, it's a legal problem that I had before God. Amen. And the only way that this legal problem could be taken care of is that restitution for my sin would have to be provided to the divine bar in heaven. Amen. But there was a problem. I couldn't provide restitution for sin because... The book of Leviticus says that the life of the creature is in the blood. The only thing that God would accept is sinless blood. So now all of a sudden it's starting to make sense to me. Now I know why Jesus died for my sin. Now I know about the necessity and sufficiency of the blood of Christ. But that's totally uncool in this paradigm today. Why? Because of the... Christian ideological subversion. These are things that grandma talked about. They're certainly not things that we talk about today in this moral therapy, all about me, Jesus as a life coach gospel. And it's intentional. Yes, it is. No one told me that 
that it was that the gospel that the gospel people say Jesus died for your sins that's all you need to know that's like no it's not no it's not most of you in here have been taught your entire life of your whole stint of Christianity that the gospel can be summed up in this that Jesus died for your sins no it's not that absolutely is not true that's part of it but see, here's where Satan won a great victory in, in the Christian ideological subversion. That's just all he wanted you to believe. Yeah. Jesus died for your sins. That's all you need to know. Well, hold on. Um, Jesus was born of a virgin. He lived a sinless life, 33 years a sinless life, in order to qualify him for the cross. After he was crucified, then he was resurrected, literal bodily resurrection from the dead, conquering death, but it's not over yet. There's one last element to the gospel, if we're going to be true to the gospel. And this is what Satan did not want us to know. He ascended as king. He ascended back to the throne And for the first time in the history of of heaven's halls, a perfect human being entered through the gates. Yes, he's God, but he's also fully human. He says, I am the root and the offspring of David. I'm human, hello. For the first time ever, a perfect human being has sat at the right hand of authority, is a higher authority than anyone on earth. And that's what Satan doesn't want us to know. Because if he is king now, then what he says is not an option. It's not up for debate. It's not up for opinion. And we have been deceived in believing that we can exercise the line item veto with the ascended king. This has an agenda. What is the agenda? Paul tells him, Timothy, he goes on to tell him what the agenda is. This is what it looks like. These people with 17 characteristics of carnal depravity, they're totally unregenerated. They think they're saved without getting saved. The agenda is in chapter 4, beginning in verse 3. For the time will come when they, who's they? Those of 17 characteristics of carnal depravity, they. For the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine. They're not going to have it, man, because they've already been subverted now. Yes. They've already got people who are, are wealthy and popular and telling them the things that they want to hear. Those are the ones that say, well, they will not endure. But wanting to have their ears tickled, they will accumulate for themselves teachers in accordance with their own desires and will turn their ears away from the truth and will turn aside to miss. You want to know why that our country is in the shape that it's in? Right here. There you go. Amen. Right here. And, and this is a war that is going to kill people. Yes. And the reason why that, that, that like I'm not telling jokes and I'm not laughing and everything is because this war, when it kills people, it's for an eternity in hell. And this includes grandchildren, it includes nieces and nephews, 
It includes siblings. It includes parents. I ask you to turn to 2 Peter. I need to be landing this thing. There's more I'd like to say. But one of the things that really disturbs me about this Christian ideological subversion is that people have been deceived into believing that their experience trumps the word of God. I had some, I mean, you wouldn't believe the ridiculous things that I have heard from people of these experiences that they've had. And then when I say, well, experience doesn't validate the truth. Truth validates the experience. Amen. Okay, truth validates whether the experience was from Satan or whether it was from God. Oh, you're a legalist. <laughs> okay. Call me whatever, man. Okay. Um, you know, I mean, you can call me a mule if you want. I mean, I, I don't care what it is. But this is swept across our country like crazy. That feelings and emotion. What are you talking about? Okay, give you an example. One of the people that got mad and left our church has been a an active pot smoking fornicator for years now. And will look at me and goes, I, I know what I feel in my heart. I have Jesus in my heart. No, you have Satan in your heart masquerading as Jesus. And there's so much, so much emphasis upon emotion and, and experience and, and all of these things yeah. over the word of God. And that was a, a tactic of the Christian ideological subversion by way of deception that Satan and his apostles that stand behind, I'm going to go ahead and name some of them, Al Mohler, yeah. repented of his biblical position regarding homosexuality. Publicly, Tim Keller, Billy Graham. Oh, some of you are mad now. Well, guess what? I've got a video of Billy Graham doing an interview with Robert Schuler. Robert Schuler, who's a universalist. That means everybody's going to heaven. And Billy Graham says to Schuler in this video, there's going to, quote, there is going to be people in heaven that's never heard the name of Jesus. He said that. I've got it on video. Saw it with my eyes, heard it with my own ears. And Schuler said, Billy, I'm glad to hear you say that because the umbrella of God's grace is broad. Funny, I thought Jesus said narrow is the way that leads to eternal life and few be there that find it. Amen. But what you have to ask yourself is who do you believe, Robert Schuler, or do you believe Jesus? Amen. The ascended king, the one who was dead for three full days. And ascended back to the throne. You have to ask yourself, who do I believe? Or do you want to believe your own carnal desires? Do you want to believe something that corresponds to the flesh? Emotions and experience. Peter is writing to his audience with regard to that. And in chapter 1, verse 16, he says, get this. For we did not follow cleverly devised tales when we made known to you the power and coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. Get this now. But were eyewitnesses. That's key right there, eyewitnesses. Eyewitnesses of his majesty. We empirically verify this with our eyes. Got that? Okay. For when he received honor and glory from God the Father... 
Such an utterance as this was made to him by the majestic glory. This is my beloved son with whom I am well pleased. He's talking about the Mount of Transfiguration in Matthew chapter 17, verse 5. He says, Peter, James, or James and John and I were there. We saw it with our eyes. We heard it with our ears. Are you following me so far? This is his experience. This is his experience. And we ourselves heard this, okay? This utterance made from, the, from heaven when we were on the holy mountain. But now notice verse 19. But we have the prophetic word made more Sure. Amen. Let that sink in. We know what we saw. We know what we heard. But towering above that is the prophetic word made more sure. Compared to the experience that we had, Compared to what we saw with our eyes and we heard with our ears, nothing compared to the written prophetic word. Amen. Everything, it's as if he is saying that anything that we said that we have done, anything that we think we have saw, has got to be filtered through the prophetic word. Regardless of what anybody says, he's telling his audience, you know something? We experienced this, and I'm an apostle of Christ, but understand what he has written has more authority and is more sure Amen. than our experience. Yes. Verification. Verse 20, but know this, first of all, that no prophecy of Scripture is a matter of one's own interpretation. For no prophecy was ever made by an act of the human will, but men... Moved by the Holy Spirit, spoke from God. Now, the reason why I want you to turn there is because now, you know what he does after he says this? He goes right into a whole chapter describing false teachers and false prophets. But false prophets also arose among the people, just as there will also be false teachers among you who will secretly introduce destructive heresies even denying the master who bought them, bringing swift destruction upon themselves. Get this. Many, this takes us back to 2 Timothy chapter 3, of people of 17 characteristics of carnal depravity, all claiming to be Christians because they believe they can be saved without getting saved. Many, that's them. Many will follow their sensuality, and because of them, the way of truth will be maligned. It's ideological subversion by way of deception. Who's to stand in the gap? Who? Mitch and Brent and Dave and me. Wrong. I'm looking at you. Are you hearing me, folks? I'm looking at you. The deception can only... Be subverted. How come we don't engage in ideological subversion? But the ideological subversion that we need to be engaged in is the ideology, the ideology of deception. Why has the church remained so silent? Where, where's the church been? 
I'd like to ask, if any of you are in the education system, I'd like to ask you, how do you stomach going along with teaching kids to deny reality after God created them either as a male or a female and they want to identify as an animal? How do you go along with it, man? I'd just like to know that. And yet you still have all these teachers in the education system that should have told him to go pound sand. I'm out of here. I trust the Lord. He's going to take care of No, no. Let's just go along with it. Let's just, let, let, let's just be a part of the ideological subversion. God understands. But Paul says, how long will you waver between two opinions? When are we going to stand? This is called a spiritual warfare conference. Yes. And as I wrap up, I just want to tell you, I haven't experienced it physically. But, buddy, I'm telling you what, when you lovingly call two people in and say, you guys have been doing the mattress mambo unmarried, and if you don't repent of this, you're going you're gonna to go to hell for eternity. And the lumps that you get on your head for that. And the bruised cheek that you get. When are we going to collectively do that? This is called warfare. Warfare is not pretty. Warfare is not comfortable. Warfare is not fun. But we have been called to contend for the faith. Once for all, entrusted to the saints. Dave is going to talk to you more about this, but you may be asking, how do we do? Well, here's the thing. My favorite verses in the entire Bible is Psalms 18, 1 through 3. And one of the first verses says, I love you, O Lord, my strength. Amen. My God is my rock. Amen. You know what David meant by that? He meant that the Lord, the dwelling of the Holy Spirit... His son, Jesus Christ, his word is ultimate reality for me. I judge everything in the world. I critically think and I look at things in the world through the reality, the prime reality of the creator God and his son, who is the ascended king of the universe. Amen. Amen. Heavenly Father, forgive me, Lord. I did it again. But I've, even though my experience can't be rendered as proof, I know that what you have done for me. Yes. And I will never be thankful enough. I want to thank you for the priceless gift of the tormenting of my conscience and the conviction of my heart and the, and the insight that Holy Spirit gives me as well. I pray, Heavenly Father, that you have been my strength, that you have caused me to endure the pain that comes from standing against the satanic Christian ideological subversion by way of deception. And I pray this for all these precious people here. I pray that we would all unite together in one heart and in one mind with the same purpose of defending your sacred honor and the truth of your word by the power of the Holy Spirit. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen.
Thank you, Pastor Dan. This is our guidebook. Amen. And everything we do has to line up with the Word of God. Yes. If it doesn't, it doesn't have value, folks. Right? right? Only the value is found in these principles of the Bible. And Dan's right. We're supposed to know this word, study this word, become students of the word, allow the word to bring correction or direction. So thank you for that reminder. Lord, we thank you for your word that has test has stood the test through the years. Lord, help us two things to keep you as our first love. And spend intimate quality time with you. And then, every day, spend time in your word. And let our lives line up according to the principles of your word, God. Always follow your word. Not our emotions or feelings, but the truths in your word. Help us to stay on that path, Lord. Because there's a lot of deception, but help us to be part of that fight, the good fight, to say that your word still counts and your word is still the final authority, inerrant word of God. We thank you in Jesus' name. Everybody, we're gonna get started again. We've had some wonderful messages, haven't we? Amen. All right, now we have Pastor David Leland's gonna talk to us about victory in the battle. Yes, you're gonna be in a battle, you want to get victory, right? Yes, amen. Okay, David. Y'all take notes? Well, get ready, pal. Get ready. Well, the reason why I ask is because each, each speaker is built on the next, right? So Mitch, he, he talked about the origins of the battle. He used a lot of good scripture, Ezekiel 28, uh, Genesis he gave us a lot of good information about who it is that we fight, right? So then uh, Pastor Brent talked about discerning. 
in the middle of a battle, right? Knowing uh, who it is that your enemy is and recognizing who that is and where that's coming from. Chapter notes. Ephesians 6, 12, and Luke 10. And, you know, you, it's good to write these things down. Uh, I found in my own study that if I read it and I write it and I speak it, it stays with me. If I just hear it and I walk away, it's there for a moment. And then when I try to recall it, I can't remember it all. I get confused. So I write them down. Now, when I was a a lot younger fellow and and, uh, was really eager to learn, right? And I would sit on the front row and, and the pastor is preaching and I'm writing. Made him nervous. <laughs> you want to make your pastor nervous? Sit on the front right, row, and write stuff down. <laughs> Dad, he said that you know he was going to rain on your parade today. <laughs> so I got the good job, right? Everybody else had to tell you all the doom and the gloom and. The, how hard it is and how much the devil wants to seek to destroy us. But I get to tell you, I get my notes turned around here, right? About a victory. Amen. And who doesn't like victory, right? Uh, Brent talked a little bit about sports, right? Game, football, basketball. What's the whole idea of a sporting event. Have a victory, right? When you get done and you won, you just all you're happy and you're full of things. Oh gosh, look, we did what we accomplished, right? Well, what you're gonna accomplish in Jesus Christ is the best victory you'll ever have. Amen. So before I get going, let's pray. Lord God, we do thank you. We thank you for each person who has brought the news that we need to hear. And sometimes it's hard for us to hear these things, Lord, because they tread on our toes and they, they burn our ears and, and they confuse our minds. Lord, we know that they come from you. Lord, I pray that as, as we continue, as we finish this up today, that all that has been said and all that is done here is just to glorify you. Yes. We are, we are less than nothing in your eyes, Lord. Yes. And yet you love us. You love us in a way that is different than human love, than, than the understanding of love that we have. Yes. You love us so much that we can't comprehend it. So, Lord, fill us up with your spirit. Yes. Because your spirit gives us an idea of how much you care. And you want all of us to be with you. So, bless us as we continue in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. All right. So, from Isaiah uh, 25 and 8. 
he says, He will swallow up death in victory, and the Lord God will wipe away tears from all the faces, and rebuke, and the rebuke of his people shall, be, shall he take away from off the earth, for the Lord hath spoken it. So I'm not making this up. And this is not in the New Testament. This is in the Old Testament. This was God telling his people that he's going to take care of them. Amen. That there is going to be a victory. Yes. When I was a young guy, there was a, a famous boxer. And he's just the best at his craft. But he had an opponent that was big and strong and he wasn't quite sure if he could match him physically. So he outmatched him mentally. He did something, you'll know who I'm talking about when I say this. He did the roper dope. Okay? So the match started, and the, the opponent came up, and he was throwing as many punches as he could, and, and the guy was blocking him, deflecting him, until the guy punched himself out. He was wore out, just couldn't hardly. That's when he came alive. Yeah. You see, sometimes we're like that. We're in that dark place where we think, you know, it, it's bad, it's rough. Jesus was there too, right? Yeah, yeah. See, the old devil thought he'd won. Yes. He had Jesus on the ropes, right? He had him where he thought he wanted him. He, he, he was cornered. He's, his, his false prophets had come to Jesus and lied about him. Yeah. Said he was a blasphemer. Said he, he said he was the son of God. Well, he was. So there was no lie there. So what did they do? They took Jesus out and they beat him. They scourged him. You know what scourging is, right? They had this big, big whip with all these sharp objects tied at the tips. And they would hit him with it. And when it would hit him, it would dig into his flesh and then they would rip it. I know that's a pretty gruesome picture for you to look at, but that is exactly what happened. Yes. To the point where he was almost unrecognizable. And that wasn't enough. So they took him up on the hill and they laid this cross down and they took Jesus and laid him on it and they nailed his hands and his feet and then he stood it up so he would die. And the devil's going over there doing the happy dance, right? Yeah. I've got him now, I've got him now. Jesus was there. They mocked him. He said, if you're the son of God, come down off that cross. Save yourself. How can you save us if you can't save yourself? And Jesus just looked at him said, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. Yeah. They don't understand what they're doing, so forgive them. 
hard to do, isn't it? Yeah. Being tormented. It's hard for us to do, isn't it? Yes. We have those that, that come at us from all different directions. Some that we think are our friends or, or colleagues. Some that we think we should be able to listen to. But secretly, they look at you like, that person's no good. He's lost. He doesn't understand. He doesn't get. But Jesus forgave him from the cross. Then he gave up the ghost, just like Danny's talking about earlier. He gave up his spirit. He was dead. They took him down off the cross. They put him in a tomb. They rolled a big stone in front of it so that nobody could steal his body away. But we know what happened. Amen. He arose. Amen. Victor yes. over sin and death. Yes. Because it couldn't contain him. Because he was perfect. Because no one could cause Jesus to sin. The devil couldn't get him to do it. Human beings couldn't get him to do it. He was sinless. Perfect. Amen. The only perfect person that ever walked on the face of the earth. The only one. So he was perfect. What's that mean for us? What does that do for us? Danny just took a nice trip. He went to Saudi Arabia and went up to Mount Sinai. And I just, listening to him talk the other day, I was just getting the chills because the reality of seeing what he got to see. But I didn't get to go, and I couldn't go on Danny's coattails, right? The same way that my salvation can't save you. Okay? The victory that I have, the victory that, that's theirs. The victory that you need is your victory. And there's only one way to get it. So the only way to the Father is through the Son. The only way to get the victory that we're looking for, the one that the devil can't take away from us, is to surrender yourself to the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. If you don't, if you can't do that, then then we might as well go home now. Yeah. First Corinthians fifteen fifty four says, "So when the corruptible ha- we shall have put on incorruption, so when this corruptible shall have put on incorruption, and this mortal shall have put on immortality, then shall he." Then shall be brought to pass the saying which is written, Death is swallowed up in victory. Amen. It goes on to say, O death, where is thy sting? O grave, where is thy victory? Yes. Now these are these are scriptures that a lot of times are used at funerals. Why? Why don't we use them every day? The victory is now. Yes. The reward will be 
later. But the victory is now, and we should, we should hold on to that. You know, uh, Brent talked about Ephesians, Ephesians 6, and it talked about the weapons, right, that the, or the, the shields that we have, the, the helmet of salvation, the breastplate of righteousness, all those things, right? He says, and with a shield of faith, you can block all the fiery darts that will be shot at you. Now, all those things that he talked about there are to, to protect you. But then he gives you something to use. What good is armor without a sword? And it said the sword is the word of God. Right? And the word of God is sharper than any two-edged sword, cutting in both directions. What does it mean to cut in both directions? <laughs> well, sometimes it cuts our enemy. Sometimes we are the enemy. And so it cuts us too. Amen. If you read the scripture, if you read God's word and it doesn't cut you once in a while, if you don't get, a, as Danny said, a few lumps and bruises and scars, you haven't been reading very good. You haven't been absorbing what the scripture has to say for us. But thanks be to God, which giveth us the victory through Lord our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. That's from second, or 1 Corinthians 15, 57. Revelation says, And I saw as it were a sea of glass mingled with fire, and then the, them that had gotten the victory over the beast... And over his image, and over his mark, and over the number of his name, and stand on the sea of glass, having the harps of God. Now, when they, uh, now that, that is a picture for us, isn't it? Yes. Amen. That a victory is already there. Yes. We just have to join in in that victory, and we have to be willing to continue the fight. We talked about the fight, right? It's not, a, it's not against flesh and blood. It's against the principalities in the darkness. Yes. So this comes, then we get to, to, to my favorite part here. Okay, this is the scripture that we should all be able to, to hang on to. Hang our hats on, right? So on the day of Pentecost, the... The disciples all met in the upper room. And Jesus told them to go there and wait. And someone, he said, I'm sending you someone who will help you. Yes. Amen. Right? So they're sitting there and all of a sudden they hear this sounds like wind blowing. Strong wind. You know, blowing. And then it says like tongues of fire came over their heads. And they received the Holy Spirit. And then they went out. And as they went out, they began to talk. And everyone understood them. Now, one of the things that that we in America don't quite get so much, maybe a little more now than in the past, but dialects, right? You can live in the same country and speak the same language and still not understand each other. 
Sometimes it's like that. If you talk to somebody from New York or somebody from Alabama, <laughs> they don't sound like the same language. <laughs> but these were people from all over the country that had come to celebrate the Passover. And so Peter started to talk to them. And they all understood him. And some of them made fun of him. They said, he must be drunk. He said, I'm not drunk. It's too early in the morning. After he was finished with his, his eloquent, and we're talking about Peter, and he was not eloquent. <laughs> he was a rough fisherman. But God gave him utterance. He gave him words to say. Then Peter said unto them, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the remission of sins, and ye shall receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Amen. For the promise is unto you and to your children and to all that are far off, even as many as the Lord our God shall call. And with many words did he testify and exhort, saying, Save yourselves from this untoward generation. Then they gladly received his word, were baptized, and the same day they were added unto them about 3,000 souls. Amen. Have you ever seen 3,000 souls saved? All at once. Me either. I've seen them saved one at a time. I've seen people come to the Lord. Why is it we don't see this? There's good reason. Danny talked about it. People are afraid to say anything. And if they do, they don't think they're smart enough or they don't think that it's a lie okay I'm not very smart I can tell you that I don't have to be okay what I have to be is willing to listen to God Amen. and trust him that whatever he says is true yep. and if I repeat what he says then that's truth yep. and if I, if I go off script and I say what I want to say Take that with a grain of salt. You want victory in the battle? Well, we've had all the information you need to know about that today. Yeah. Yesterday, today. Right? We got that information. Yeah. We know who it is that we're fighting. We know that it's not us. Or is it? See, sometimes it is us. Sometimes we are our own worst enemy. But when you accept Jesus Christ, when you are born again, you will know it. And he knows it. You know how he knows? He watches for the fruit. Are we producing what Jesus has asked us to produce? 
He says, go out into the world. That's the last thing he told his disciples when he ascended into heaven was to go out into the world and tell all nations about the good news. Good news. Danny said he was going to rain on your parade, make a whatever. It's not. He didn't. Okay, that... Everything you've heard has not been to bring us down. It's a way to victory. Amen. Every one of those things that, that Brent and, and Mitch and Danny talked about all allude to a plan. You see, it is a plan. The, the greatest master planner of ever was God. From the very beginning... He had a plan. He had multiple plans. He has a plan for everything that ever happens. Yes. He has a plan for your life. He says that in his yes. scripture. Amen. He says that there is no weapon that is formed that can harm you Amen. if you're his. Yes. No weapon. Why don't we get that? Exactly. We don't want to move. It's pretty good. It's pretty good to be a Christian and not have much asked of you, right? Right? I mean, I remember when I first came to the Lord, I didn't want to do anything. I felt really blessed to be able to walk in the door. And the roof didn't cave in. And when people started asking me to do things, I can't do that. I can't do that. Why not? I'm a sinner. Man, I've been bad. I had this, this pastor, and she kept asking me. She wanted me to just tell something. Get up front, tell something that happened that God had done in my life. No, I can't do it. Kept telling her no. Kept telling her no. Kept telling her no. Finally, she cornered me one day. She said, listen, what is your problem? So I just unloaded on her. Told her all the mean, nasty, dirty things I'd ever been involved with. She said, I got one question for you. Have you been saved? Did you ask for forgiveness? Yeah. Then what's your problem? (laughs) Then what do you do? Okay, I'll get up there. Well, you get up there, you know, behind the pulpit thing there. Yeah. You never done that before. (laughs) You get up there and you need yourself. (laughs) But I looked out. I mean, God is so good, right? I looked out and everybody was smiling. There wasn't one person out there that wanted me to fail. They were listening. They wanted to hear what I had to say. Imagine that. So I told them that something I'd seen when I was a kid that that God had done and, and made me have faith that everything else that he said was true. From that point on, he, he, Jesus, God, started to push me. And when I say push, because I was being pushed. I didn't want to. Okay, I, I didn't really have that desire at that point to be anything more than I was. Not that that was a whole lot. (laughs) Not that it's a whole lot now. 
but I'm going where he's telling me to go now. Amen. Right? Yes. Now he's leading me. He's not pushing me. There's a difference. Yes. You ever try to push a rope? <laughs> that won't work very good. A whole lot easier to pull on it, isn't it? Uh-huh. Well, now he's leading me. Now I'm listening. Now I have victory. Now I know how to handle things when they happen. Now I know when I need to repent. Now I know when I need to ask for forgiveness. Now I know how to talk to someone else about Jesus Christ. Amen. Division. Division is one of the biggest, best tools that the devil's got. He wants us to be divided. He's divided us into conservatives and liberals, into Republicans and Democrats, into Christians and non-Christians, usins and demons. And as long as we stay divided, the devil's happy. Because when we all come together, he's in for a big, big surprise, isn't he? But, but he wants us to be divided. He divides us along denominational lines. Yeah. You know, Baptists and Methodists and Christians and Catholics and you name it. Doesn't want any of us to get along, to agree on anything, even though that we almost all agree on something. Yeah. We all agree on the sovereignty of Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. Amen. <laughs> Why is it so hard for us? Why is it that we can be subverted so easily? Mm-hmm. We're, really, we're really not very smart people. Amen. I mean, I have a theory. He talked about a theory the other day, right? He talked about the, the, the Tower of Babel. Well, here's my theory. You ready? Again, <laughs> grain of salt, okay? Because this is my theory. This isn't God. <laughs> my theory is this, that at the Tower of Babel, people got to use all the capacity that they got in their brain. They were pretty smart people. You think of the things that they did before the Babel, even building the tower. They were smart, weren't they? I mean, you talked about geometry and all the things they would need to be able to do what they were doing. I, I think Brent or, yeah, Brent talked about the, the Mayans that were so smart, right? Well, here's what I think happened. When God, when God saw what they were doing, and he said, I'm going to scatter you people, and I'm going to change your languages so you can't communicate with each other, I think he did another thing. I think he turned the switch back. Dialed us back a little bit. Made us a little dumber. Almost all of us here, not everyone, but almost all of us here, had to be in a place of need to come to Jesus Christ. Right? Some of us had to be at the bottom of the barrel, looking up. And Lord, I, I know I can't get out by myself. And the only way I can do this is with you. Yep. Please, please, save me. 
Your victory belongs to him. Amen. He won it. It's his. Now I want you to think about this for a minute. What is the prize? Well, for us, it's heaven. Amen. For us, it's being with, with God, being with Jesus Christ in his home. That's, that's our prize. What is his prize? His prize, he gets back his people. Those that truly want to be with him. Will everyone on the earth be saved? They won't be, will they? I heard a story one time, I guess you you guys probably already heard this before, about the little boy that was on the seashore. And the waves had washed up uh, starfish. They were all over the beach. And he was out there and he was picking it up and he was flinging her back out in the ocean. And this older man come up and said, boy, what are you doing? And he said, well, he said, I'm throwing these starfish back out there. He said, you think you can make a difference? And he picked up another one and he gave her a big sling. He said, it made a difference to that one. Yeah. Amen. So whether we see 3,000 at a time or one at a time, if you get one, you've made a difference. Right? If you get one person to accept the Lord Jesus Christ, that's a difference. That's a soul that's going to heaven. It's not one that's going to perish. Not one that's going to be cast into eternal damnation and fire. I know we don't like to hear those things. <laughs> that's what's happened. Nobody wants to hear the other side of the coin, right? Yeah. All they want to hear is what Daniel said. God is love. Everything's good. We're all going to get there. Just love. That's not all it's about. (laughs) What does he want from us? What does he expect from us? What is a sign of our commitment to him? It's obedience. Yes. It's obedience. So if we keep his commands, if we follow him, if we do what he wants us to do, we're going to be in tune with him. We're going to, he says that when we get up of a morning, he should be on our lips. Amen. When we walk down the road at noonday, we should be talking about him. Thinking about him. When we go to bed at night, he should be the last thing that we think about. He said to think good things. Right? Perfect things. Righteous things. Holy things. If If we do that, if we keep those things on our mind and in our hearts... It's hard for the devil to find that door that he talked about putting the foot in there, right? So he couldn't close the door. If we keep those things in our minds and on our hearts, how does the devil get into us? You want victory? There's your, there's your avenue right there, right? Keep God in the forefront. Amen. Keep your thoughts on him. Keep your eyes on him. The eyes are supposed to be the windows to the soul, right? 
So what we see is what we think about. And what we think about is what we'll act on. What do you want your act to be? Do you want to be the the act of someone who's serving God? He saved you after all, didn't he? He died on the cross. He shed his blood for you, for me. He didn't ask you for anything, did he? Did he say, oh, you've got to give me $10,000 and then you can have my blood and... He didn't say that. He said it is freely given for you. And for the many. And the only only thing you you truly have to do is, is repent of your sinfulness. Ask forgiveness. Seems like it's pretty simple, doesn't it? We don't think it's very simple, though, do we? You have to admit that you've been sinful, that you've lived a sinful life. As I said, Jesus was the only perfect human being, the only one. That makes the rest of us sinners, doesn't it? And we don't really have any choice now, but we're sinners. We're born with, with carnality because of the sin of our father all the way back to Adam. We have that on us. Some of us are worse sinners than others. Well, some of us are worse. He said some of us are worse sinners than others. But here's the contention I have with that. Sin is sin is sin is sin. Big sin, little sin, God doesn't care. Sin is sin, right? He sees a little white lie or a murder as sin. So what are we supposed to do? Well, I'll tell you. Be on your knees. Humble yourself before the Lord. As soon as you recognize it, ask God to forgive you. We all lose our temper. We all do something that we regret, that we wish we hadn't done or, or said. Or We all do. There's none of us that are any different than that. As good as we want to be, we still have those points, those problems. Yeah. And we won't have that glorified body until we enter his kingdom. And the only avenue to that is through his blood. So victory comes through Jesus. It comes through his blood. It comes through his love, his compassion. It is, it is given to us by grace. And, and yes, heaven forbid that we would continue to sin. And yet we're not perfect. Even Paul said, I am the greatest sinner of all. I am the worst of the worst. And the only hope that I have is in Jesus Christ. He said, I strive every day towards a high calling, which is Jesus Christ. Yes. You know what strive is, right? Work towards. Move in that direction. 
to strive. Strive to be better. It's, it's always my goal. And we're always told to set goals, right? My goal is I want to be better tomorrow than I was today. And I want that for every day. Because I know, I know my, my fallibility. I know that, that I can mess up real quick. And if I take my eyes off for just a moment, that I can lose it. So you have to stay focused. You have to stay tuned in. The other mistake we make as Christians is we think that everybody should be where we're at right now. Right? Oh, you didn't get that? You didn't understand that? What's wrong with you? We didn't understand it all in the beginning either, did we? We had to learn. Some of us thought we did. Yeah. 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 There's that too, right? A little pride going on there. I got it all. I'm cool. I've studied it all. I've read the Bible a hundred times. <laughs> I've read a recipe before too, but I'm no cook. <laughs> My wife will tell you that. <laughs> Revelations 1.18 says, I am he that liveth and was dead. And behold, I am alive forevermore. Amen is the next one. <laughs> and have the keys of hell and death. He has the keys of hell and death. Thank you, Jesus. So the devil is definitely still out there. Right? He's still out there doing his very best. To deceive us. To harm us. To do us no good. But he's still that deceiver the only real power he has is to lie to you and tell you something and try to make you believe it to tell you that what somebody else said that you've believed forever is wrong and sometimes it is you see that's part of that discerning that we have to do right and how do you discern those things are we waiting for a lightning bolt to hit us? God says, oh, that's wrong. <laughs> no, you, you have to study. Amen. You have to think about these things. You have to work at it a little bit. You have to put some effort into it. If it was that easy, all you had to do is say, I confess, Lord Jesus Christ. Everybody would get it, wouldn't they? Yeah. But it's not that easy. Anybody that tells you that being a Christian is, is easy and everything will be hunky-dory and apple pie from there on in has told you a lie themselves. Because you will fight. And you will struggle. We're in it today. He was talking about some of the things that the subversive things that have gone on. Well, uh, I belong to a Methodist church my whole life. From the time I was, my parents took me to church every Sunday from the time I was a baby till 
And then I pastored for the last 22 years in the Methodist church. But I could see how they were moving away from what scripture teaches. And this last year, they made a mistake. They made a mistake. They gave us an out. You can disaffiliate, and it won't cost you your building and your grounds. Amen. Thank you. Amen. <laughs> Amen. So our church has decided that we can no longer follow a false teaching. Amen. And we have got a new name. He said he'd give us a new name, didn't he? Amen. New name written down in glory. We're now going to be West Madison Faith Community Church. Amen. Good name. And we're going to follow Jesus Christ. Yes. And we're not going to let the things of the world come in and try to tell us that what we're reading and what we're preaching, what we're teaching, what we're praising and giving glory to is wrong. Yes. Ephesians says to stand strong. And once you stand, stand strong. Don't falter. Don't fall back. Stand strong. Stand for what you believe. Stand for what the Bible says. What God tells us. Don't give up. Don't quit. Let your victory be heard. Yeah, he talked about how silent the church has been. It's about time we started ringing the church bells again, isn't it? Yeah. Right? Yeah. Letting people know that we're alive and we're still there. You know how many people in the last 20 years have gone by West Madison Methodist Church? Didn't even know it was there. Drove right on by it. Where do you preach at? Oh, West Madison, downtown Madison there. Where's that at? Where's that at? Heard that one before. <laughs> We've got to start ringing the bells, folks. We've got to shake it up so that people know that there is a victory. Yes. We're, not, we're not doomed. We're not. Mm. We are the ones who have the victory. Amen. People want to be on a winning team, right? How many people you know that the root for one team for a while, and then when, when it starts losing you know, parentally, they'll choose another team? Well, I can't root for a loser. So let's root for a victory, right? And we know where the victory's at. Absolutely, it's in Jesus. It's in, it's in our God. It's... I think Mitch talked about the DNA, right? The, the Nephilim and, and wanting, devil wanting to get his, his blood into our lineage. See, the thing is, he didn't understand about blood transfusions. <laughs> Amen. You ever had a blood transfusion? You ever, know, ever seen what that is? Where they, they put blood in you, you know? Well, we got it from... The man, we got it from Jesus Christ. We got a blood transfusion from him. 
and all that old bad blood, all that stuff that was in there, you shipped it out. Amen. And you got new blood. That's, that's part of being that born again, is accepting yes. the blood of Jesus Christ and having victory in that and claiming that and being happy about it. Yes. We don't have to go around with our heads hung down. Oh, you know, the world's going to hell. He said, be in the world, don't be of the world. We are here, right? We're here. Yes. But we have, a different, we have a different goal in mind, a different place in mind. We are aliens, folks. Yes. We're not the woo-woo-woo <laughs> kind of aliens, right? Orange. We're aliens because we're going to go home to a different world. We're going to go home to a place that is so indescribable in its beauty. We're going to go to a place where he says, we only understand in part now, but then we will understand fully. Amen. Can you imagine that? Your mind will be expanded where you can understand all of it. People say, well, I don't know. When I get to heaven, I'm going to ask Jesus. No, you won't. You won't have to. All you want to do when you get there is, is holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. That's all you're going to want to do. You want to give him praise and thanks. Exactly. Exactly. You're going to have that victory. You're going to have that time where you and I and all those who believe and have accepted Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior... We're going to be up there together. We're going to be singing in that heavenly choir. We're going to be shouting glory, glory, glory to the Lord God Almighty. And we're going to be there. Now you look around at the folks that you would like to be there with you. We all have them. And all we can do is, is tell them about our Lord and Savior. Try to convince them that if they want to be in heaven, if they want to be with Jesus Christ, then you've got to repent of your sins and come to him. And there, there's no other way. I'm not going to say I'm sorry because I'm not. It is how it is. It is what he tells us. You want to come? You want to be with me? You want to come to my home? Ask me real nice. My house, my room. <laughs> he says, come to me. You that are weak and heavy laden. And I will give you rest. I will give you rest. I will give you what you need. I will give you a victory like none other in the world. And that is what we look to. The battle is real. The devil is real. His enemy, uh, his, his minions, his demons, they're real. But they're not more real than Jesus Christ. And he's already, he's already told them they have to go. 
He's already made a place for them, a pit they'll be cast into. They're just scrambling right now. They're just trying to get all they can get. They don't want to go down there by themselves. They want all that they can get. The devil uses people. So why not let Jesus use people? Why not let us be his army? Think of what he did with just a few. With Gideon. He said, yeah, just take that few people and, and surround them and make noise. And they'll think there's thousands. We'll fool them. It worked. And you know why he wanted to do that? He didn't want, he didn't want people to get the idea that they did it. He wanted them to know that he is God. That he is the one that's in control. He can take us few. And we can make out like we're thousands. And we can shake the trees. We can get people to come to him. But we have to get up. We can't do it sitting on our seats in our pews. We can hear about God. We can be encouraged about God. We can sing hymns and praise and glory. But if we don't get up and move our feet and meet those people that are out there in the world that need Him, then what good are we? And you say, I can't do that anymore. I can't get up and get around. Pray for those that can there is, a, there is a job for everybody. Everybody's not a, everybody's not a general, right? Everybody's not the, the tactician. Not everybody's going to be a foot soldier. But they're all needed and all important. Every single one of them yeah. is needed. Every single, God, he needs every one of us. And that's how his victory on this earth will be won. It won't be by the big television evangelists or the mega churches. It's going to be like people like you and me that are going to walk out into the world and we're going to talk to the people around us and invite them to know what you know. If you have the very best of the very best of the very best and there's more of it than you can ever use or have, why wouldn't you give it away? Jesus is the best thing that we've ever had or ever will have. Amen. And his blood is endless. So he shares it with every one of us. He says, you're mine. Now get up and go out into the world and make disciples. Make disciples. What is it to make To teach. To show. To explain. So that they too will have the ability to go out and do the same thing. That's how it's perpetuated. How did I learn? When I was a little guy, I went to Sunday school. And I had teachers that started teaching me about Jesus, about God. Telling me the stories of Jonah and the whale and Noah and the ark. And all the things, you know, the little the stories that would draw me in. And, and the picture that I got from those things 
never left me. They never left me. Now, there was a time in my life that I walked away. That I said, I didn't really need this. I could do it on my own. I was going to have fun. For a season, it was fun. But during that season, it was only fun for me. It wasn't fun for the people around me. It wasn't, wasn't fun for my parents or my grandparents or my wife. Because it was all about me. When you start to understand that this is not about me, it's not about you, it's about him. That's when you'll be able to make a difference. Let's go in prayer. Lord God, we thank you again for your victory. Lord, we thank you for all that you've done and all that you've explained and how well it's been brought across this, this weekend, Lord. We pray, Lord, that we will place it in our hearts, that you'll write it there, that we might not ever forget it. And that as we go out into the world, Lord, we'll be able to bring others to you. And while we may not be Peter and bring 3,000 at a time, if you'll just give us one, Lord, and then one more, Lord, and then one more, Lord, then we can do your will and we can bring people to you. And Lord, eventually, all those that you want will be with you. And I know you want them all, Lord. Bless us. Bless us with your grace and your mercy. Cover us, Lord, with your protection. For there's nothing that the devil would like more now than, than to attack us and, and try to convince us that this was all a waste of time. But Lord, we know that when we serve you, it is never a waste of time. So bless us. Watch over us. Keep us. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Okay, we've had four good talks. So we're doing questions and answers. So does anybody have any questions or answers? You've had four different talks from different perspectives and everything. So you got questions? Anybody? <laughs> yes.
Yes, amen. Yes. Is that in order to participate, in order to be a believer, you are to be one who has been regenerated, born again. Amen. Otherwise, these emblems can be dangerous for you. They can.
idea is not just to keep the ground you've already gained, but to gain new ground. Take from your enemy. How do you do that? Brother Dave said so. Go and make disciples. You take from the enemy and bring them into the kingdom. God, that is spiritual. something out of it. 